Shalom brothers and sisters and welcome to this live stream tonight. I am excited. I'm joined by a special guest and we're going to talk about some really cool stuff tonight. We're going to talk about women in ministry. What is what does it look like biblically speaking? What does the Bible teach us about women and their role in the kingdom of God? Tonight, uh, I have David Wilbur joining me. Uh, David, welcome. Uh, I, I just want to tell you guys about David. Uh, David is um, an author. He's a speaker. He's a teacher. He, you may have seen him on 119 Ministries. Um, he has a, many books. Uh, one of the latest one uh, called Is God a Misogynist? And he also uh, writes on his blog, his website called DavidWilber.com. Welcome, David. Hey, PD. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Yeah. So, guys, like I mentioned, uh, we're we're going to be talking about the role of women, and um, I think that this is one. There are many things that are, that are sparking this conversation, but I think that something all of us can agree to is that. When we look at different denominations and and even religions all around the world, women have been treated oftentimes very differently, very unfairly um, in the world. And today we we also want to talk about we want to talk about that even within Christianity, in churches and in the Bible. And we want to talk about ultimately what how did the messiah treat women within his culture which was very much some like somewhat like today a culture that had prejudice against women and so mm. um yeah david do you have any opening thoughts on this why are we talking about this and yeah, you know, what do you think yeah, well, I mean, it is a uh, important topic um, because, um, you know, God's will from the beginning was um, men and women working together to fulfill his purposes. And so when women are mistreated, when women are looked down on, when women are excluded, um, we are hindering the work that God wishes to do. Um, through both men and women who are created to, to partner together, to work together for the kingdom. So uh, this has been a problem, this problem of mistreating women, of devaluing women. This has been a problem since the fall. They've been devalued and mistreated since the fall of man. Historically, we know in the ancient world, ancient Canaanites, they would routinely force young girls and women of other city states into temple prostitution. Uh, women in the ancient world were very much looked down on, very much exploited and mistreated. Uh, Baal, the Canaanite god who's worshipped in Canaanite religion, he's he regularly raped his sister and daughter and had sex with his mother to humiliate her, according to Canaanite religious beliefs. And since uh, the Canaanites worshipped Baal, it's unsurprising that they imitated his behavior in that respect and just perpetuated this low view of women as basically being property. We know that the Greco-Roman world also had a very low view of women. Adultery and rape were widely practiced uh, 
you know, by the gods in Greek mythology, Zeus, he uh, slept with hundreds of other gods and mortals, which uh, made his wife Hera very upset. And so this was just a view within the religious beliefs of the people at that time. And this is what that, that culture acted out um, in their lives. There were virtually no in the Greco-Roman world, there were basically no moral limits on men's sexual conduct. Uh, according to the scholar Nancy Piercy, married men would often engage in extramarital affairs with, quote, girlfriends, mistresses, prostitutes, courtesans, other men, and most of all, household slaves. And this basically forced their wives to have to compete with all of these other people for their husband's love and intention. So in the Greco-Roman world, women had zero dignity and they were viewed as objects and there was no equality and Christianity, Yeshua the Messiah, who we're going to talk about later, uh, he opposed this culture. He opposed this cultural double, double standard. And I would argue that the cultural advances that we've seen for women's rights are due to Christianity. But um, let's talk about today for a little bit, you know, because you, you brought up the point that in, in many ways, even today, women are um, face uh, prejudice, they face mistreatment. Uh, a few years ago, a famous film producer by the name of Harvey Weinstein was exposed as a serial sexual abuser. Over 80 women have made allegations against him, including allegations of rape. And then these allegations sparked what has come to be called the Me Too movement, uh, which you know is a very popular movement online, uh, which has been shining a bright light on how women are mistreated and abused by powerful men in the culture. Everywhere from Hollywood to the highest political offices, we have seen recently how women are mistreated and abused. So despite all of our social progress in the West, women are still abused, exploited, and degraded by men. And this is taking place even in places like Hollywood, which is supposedly run by the most progressive and enlightened among us, right? Folks who have ditched archaic worldviews like Christianity and him, him, have embraced modern feminism. Even in those places, women are still mistreated and abused. So the question that I wanna talk about tonight is how do we solve this problem? And I be believe Christianity and the Bible solves this problem and has been working to solve this problem from the beginning. Every case of abuse and mistreatment of women today is because people do not follow the scriptures. And that's, um, that's what I, I hope that you and I can both prove today. Mm. I mean, that's so good, brother. Mm. You know, some things never change. And, you know, yeah. like back, back then, you know, we and we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight too but i mean we can even just see in the scriptures itself in our new testament you know when we i mean the culture like you just described which was so pervert you know um perverse mm -hmm. it, it was just like within the book of romans you know the corinthians the ephesians you know these people that paul was writing to they were in these kind of cultures that were so crazy but uh, even a lot of that, like you just mentioned, is still very much alive and active today. Um, but even, mm -hmm. you know, naturally, you know, when we're in the world and this is what is all around us, uh, that it's going to influence the way we 
it, it, if we allow it at least you know it can influence the way we view women and treat women and and even i want to submit mm-hmm. i just want to bring up one example and and even with the disciples you know when they were with uh with the messiah and you know the messiah got crucified resurrected and you know they thought it's game over at some point right because they they had a right. unbelief there and you know when mary finds this tomb empty and, and they go it says in luke 24 uh, verse 10 you know uh, mary magdalene joanna and mary the mother of james and other women that were with them told these things unto the apostles and their words seemed to them an idle tale and they believed them not and you have to yeah. ask yourself the question if these were not a a bunch of women coming to bring this news would they have believed it or was there a hesitancy to believe their words because it was brought mm-hmm. forth by a messenger that was a woman and of yeah. course that's how it was and so so we see that even at this point the disciples are are struggling with this very thing we are talking about tonight because the messiah had a different message that he brought Thanks. regarding this whole thing uh david tell Amen. me why do you th- why do you think it is that women have been treated this way in the past and and even into today um mainly due to sin i i think that uh you know it's the fallen nature of man. I mean, when men are naturally stronger than women, you know, so they they naturally have an advantage physically. And so all throughout history, you know, men could overpower women. And and so that's just kind of what has naturally taken place uh, throughout history. Why women have, have been abused and mistreated is because of the physical advantages that that men had and and so i I think that's really i mean the root of it is ultimately sin it goes back to to sin because it wasn't always meant to be that way god before sin god created man and woman in his image as equals uh ontological equals to fulfill his purposes yeah i mean humanity where we we always it seems like the fallen nature wants to oppress the weak like you just mentioned Mm -hmm. and and women they fall they can fall into that category when with men and i also think that um there's this belief that i guess which the disciples at this point that i just mentioned somewhat held at Mm -hmm. least where women are sometimes seen as unqualified or unintelligent or you know they're whatever something like that because of their gender and mm-hmm. also i think so if it's not these ish, these reasons some people even today um simply believe that women have certain roles and those roles are 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 not the same as men and and i think we can agree right a, a man and a woman there's a difference there um, but i think right. it's also important right. to to discuss that element of what is the role of a man what is the role of a woman and is the role of a woman that she is not permitted to do kingdom matters which are more reserved for men or what does that really mean Mm -hmm. yeah so could we talk a little bit about the role of men and women maybe in terms of uh I, i i think that when we look look at the Messiah, which we're gonna we're heading to, and how he he looked at things, I believe he mm-hmm. got what he believed regarding all this from the creation account, where all things started regarding this. Right? Um, could you could you share a little bit about what you think about that? 
Right. Well, uh, you know, you brought up the Messiah, um, and I believe that Yeshua saw women the way God does, obviously, because Yeshua is God. But uh, in the in the face of cultural and religious pressures, what do we see in the Gospels? Yeshua, he ministered to the Samaritan woman at the well, and that's that woman went on to become a successful evangelist in her community. Uh, Yeshua allowed women to be his disciples, and he respected their desire to learn from him. As we see in Luke 10, 42, we see that he praised Mary for sitting at his feet and listening to his teachings alongside his male disciples. And, and he praised her for that, you know, something that was culturally seen as a male activity, you know, sitting at a teacher's feet and listening. He praised Mary for sitting alongside his disciples to learn. Um, Yeshua expressed God's mercy and compassion toward women by healing them and delivering them, you know, uh, making time for them, being compassionate toward them in a culture that didn't give a second thought to women, uh, that didn't treat women as valuable in so many ways. Yeshua over and over again affirmed their value and personhood. And so I believe, as you mentioned, that this goes back to creation. Yeshua is reaffirming God's creation ideal. I mentioned earlier, Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So male and female are created in God's image. And that means that both men and women are in, uh, bestowed, uh, God bestows upon them intrinsic value and he elects them to um, do his purposes and will on the earth. So the very beginning of the Bible, we see that God affirms the ontological equality of men and women. He affirms the dignity of both men and women, the vocation of both men and women in his creation and plan. Feminism doesn't get the credit for the concept that women have equal value. The Bible taught this concept first in the very first chapter of Genesis. And this is further confirmed when we look at the creation of Eve. For example, in Genesis 2, Eve was made from Adam's selah, which means side, Adam is, she is um, Adam's other half, if you will, and Adam is literally described in the Bible as being incomplete without her. The Bible says it is not good that man should be alone. Man needs women. Man needs woman. So scripture teaches that Adam needed a partner in a woman to fulfill the divine calling of subduing and ruling over creation, being fruitful and filling the earth. Both men and women serve as um, types of priests in the garden, if you will. They are both created to work together as partners to fulfill God's purpose. So they're equal. Uh, we, we even see this in marriage, for example. Um, God created man. Um, he, he said that man is to leave his father and mother and to hold fast to his wife. This teaches us that a man's first loyalty is not to his parents or his tribe. A man's first loyalty is not to the culture. His first loyalty is to his wife. He holds fast to her which is a phrase often used to express the covenant loyalty one is to have toward God. Marriage is represented as a bond wherein the wife is treated as an equal. She is honored, cherished, and protected. And sex is to be enjoyed only within those safe boundaries of a loving covenant relationship where she feels 
respected, loved, and cherished. It's not to be taken from her without um, her consent. It's not to be, she's not to be abused or exploited or degraded. Um, so those are just a few passages that establish uh, what I call in my book, the creation ideal, which represents God's ideal uh, model for humanity before sin. It's only after the fall when, when sin enters into the world, when inequality and mistreatment of women began to uh, take place. Mm, that's such, such a good, such a good point, brother. Um, you know, mm. the, uh, when he, when God created her, you know, Eve, he said that um, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to create a help meet. And, you know, mm. I love that word help meet. You know, I think if you don't know what the word really means, you, you know, and you'd think, oh, God created a, a servant for man or something like that. Someone to just right. do man's bidding. But that's totally not what that word means. Um, Ezra right. Konegda, right, is the word there in Hebrew. And it's so much deeper. And I just want to read Deuteronomy 33, verse 26. It's another verse that uses the same word. And it's, there is none like unto the God of Jeshurun who rides upon the heavens in thy help. That's help. Ezra and in his excellency on the sky. This is like a this is like warrior language of how God right. is coming to help, to rescue, to save. He's strong. He watches the back of his people, if you will. And that's exactly what what is connected to the role of women here. She watches her husband's back. She protects. She's there when he's got a blind spot. She is she can even rescue him when he's going down a wrong path and helping him in that way. So there's great, that's, that's not a weak role. That's, that's extremely important and strong. And, and God created her with that purpose that is strong. And so, um, there is, there is these, there are these differences, you know, women, uh, it's, it's said that, you know, like you mentioned, co-equal, but there are these things said, for example, that women, uh, Ephesians 5 verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the mm -hmm. husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. So there is this thing of submit to your husband, because this is, and mm -hmm. this is a beautiful picture of how um, Christ is the head of the church and then unto man in ephesians 5 25 he says husbands love your wives as christ loved right. the church now if right you know he loved her so much that he died for her so if that's that's a that's a massive calling for man to love his wife so much in the same way that christ loves the church and that says well, look, Christ loves the church so much because he sees value in her. That's why he died for us, partly after all. He doesn't die for nothing. He died for his bride. And so in the same way, God is saying there is value in women. This woman I am giving to man in, this, in the case of the garden, for example. And it is, yeah, it's so much more than what the world attributes to this whole thing. And this is what... Yeah. The yep. Messiah echoed. Amen. And, and, you know, that message is consistent throughout the scriptures. You know, we have, um, 
we have uh, the creation ideal, Genesis 1 through 2, like I, I talked about earlier. And um, then it was only when sin entered into the world that women are mistreated and abused and not seen, not seen as equals to men in the culture. And by the way, what is, what is God's response to that? What is God's response to, to sin? It was, um, you know, the sinful culture, this fallen world. He meets these, the Israelites where they are and he gives them the Torah, which lays the first stepping stones back to that creation ideal. And I go into a lot more detail about this in my book, but the Torah has all kinds of affirmations of God's creation ideal. Just consider the, the fifth commandment, for example. It says, honor your father and mother. Right there, we see that father and mother are equally worthy of honor in the family. This was radical in the ancient world because in other ancient cultures, the mother was often controlled by her son in the family. The Torah expresses uh, that there is to be equality between father and mother uh, with regard to, to that honor in the family. Deuteronomy 29 teaches that women along with men are full members of God's covenant community. They aren't to be treated as second-class citizens. Deuteronomy 31 teaches that women along with men are fully accountable to God and expected to learn God's commandments. They're also given the same benefits as men, religious benefits, uh, and um, like, like Sabbath rest, for example, being able to participate in the uh, the tabernacle and temple services. They were they were not second class citizens. They were full members of the covenant community, the religious life of ancient Israel. And this, as you just were talking about, this is fully reaffirmed in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. um, in contrast to, it, it's always it's always the secular or or the pagan outside world that treats women as lesser than. God is always drawing his people back to that creation ideal, Genesis 1 and 2. Um, in contrast to the low view of women expressed in the Greco-Roman culture surrounding the early church, followers of Messiah promoted equality and protection. And um, for ex just to give one example, you know, I brought up the, the whole point about promiscuity in the Greco-Roman world and how men had mo no moral limits on their sexual conduct. They can just sleep with whomever they want, even if they were married and their wife just had to put up with it. Paul mm. says in uh, 1 Corinthians 7 that a husband not only has authority over his wife's body, but a wife has authority over her husband's body. The man, in, according to the New Testament, the man, contrary to the Greco-Roman world, was not allowed to just do whatever he wanted with his body. He was not allowed to sleep with whoever he wanted. And so Christianity's sexual ethic in the ancient world, in, in addition to the practices um, uh, are in, in addition to Christianity's opposition to other practices like abortion and infanticide, these were among the main reasons women in the ancient world were so drawn to the early church. By the way, quick point, Christianity was also responsible for passing the first laws against sexual slavery, elevating the, the status of countless oppressed women. And uh, I have references, uh, historical references to this in, in my book, but yeah, Christianity has always been about lifting up women. So uh, again, the when women are mistreated, when women are devalued and minimized, it's not because of the teachings in the Bible. 
when we take the Bible seriously, it's due to either if they're religious people, it's due to a misunderstanding of the Bible, or it's due to pagan beliefs or, or secular uh, culture and beliefs. Mm. That's very good, brother. You know, and I would like us to talk, that's such good groundwork right there. And I think from there on, it's good to talk about um, what we call the Great Commission. You know, I've, I've had emails from people, uh, from women, um, especially asking, you know, wow, you know, I, I look at, you know, what the disciples did with the Messiah. I look at, you know, all these cool things that happened in the early church and, you know, how, you know, we're always trying to encourage people to walk in the kingdom and, and do what mm -hmm. the Messiah did. But oftentimes I've found that women ask, you know, but, but can I partake in this too? Mm -hmm. You know, can I, am I supposed to just have babies and raise kids while husband does all those things or can i have mm -hmm. a role in these things too and and i think that and this is so important for me personally because you know i have i've walked with women before in terms of discipling i've and i have seen how the father can use a woman in ways which he doesn't use men just because we're different and that's good Right. But if and it's like you said earlier, David, if if we take women out of this picture completely, we are losing something big. This is not Amen. just hey, we want you guys yeah. to be included. If you're not included, we're losing something because God yes. created men and he created women with their own strengths and their own weaknesses alike. And so, you know, um, and that question of can women be a part of this is is kind of it's a good question but when we look at what the messiah did it's mm -hmm. and how he treated women it's like wow because it's almost like he went out of his way to right. prove what he believes regarding this and it's you mentioned very quickly earlier about the samaritan woman who was right. as far as we know the first evangelist ever sent by the Messiah, and he, she's sent to Samaria, and, and she says in uh, John 4, verse 39, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, when she said, he told me all that I ever did. So she, as a woman, and a Samaritan woman, even that's even worse if you understand the relationship there of where the Samaritans were mm -hmm. versus the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. She... She is sent by the Messiah. He doesn't send a guy. Send a guy. He could have, but he wanted to send a message to us yeah. and everyone else alike. Look, I can and I want to use women, and that's exactly yeah. for the same reason he used Mary and those women when he first appeared after being resurrected. Because while the men, who are supposed to be the strong leaders, were in their homes and oh no, it's game over. We lost. What happened? The women were crying out and they were believing and they were looking and they were they were hungry. They they didn't give up the same way that the men maybe did in some ways. And so Amen. and yeah. and think and think think about that, that um, what's the entire basis of our faith as Christians? Paul, Paul says in first Corinthians 15 that if the resurrection didn't happen, your faith is futile. And so the first ones to discover Yeshua's empty tomb, as you were just talking about, brother, uh, the, the first ones to discover his empty tomb and to meet the risen Lord 
were his women followers. Yeshua told them to inform his brothers, enlisting these women as the very first evangelists to testify of the most important doctrine in our faith, the yeah. resurrection. In Matthew 28, 1 through, 1 through 10, he trusts women with the most important doctrine, uh, the first ones. And so, yeah, it, it's just incredible. And, and you know, so often because of because of cultural prejudices, really, whether whether religious tradition, unbiblical religious tradition, or cultural prejudices, we just gloss over these things. But when we really think about them, that's a huge deal. That the, that he entrusted women with this all important doctrine. It's a huge deal that the gospel writer in John deliberately tells this story, highlighting the fact that the Samaritan woman was a very successful evangelist, you know, in her community. It's deliberate. The, the Bible is coming against these cultural prejudices that are trying to hold women down. The Bible is coming against those and saying, no, go back to the creation ideal. Men and women are created both equally in God's image. They're equal in value and dignity, and they both are partners in God's plan of redemption and uh, the Great Commission as well. Mm. That's good, brother. So, um, yeah, you know, and I think Paul's writings, for example, have sometimes been misinterpreted really badly, and we're going to talk about some of those soon here. But, you know, I want to look at, before we do that, Paul he was, we see in his writings, he's one of the guys who we clearly see are co-laboring with women in his ministry. And uh, one example is in Romans 16, verse 1, where we read about Phoebe. And, and uh, I'm going to read it here. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant deacon of the church at Concrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. He, it's interesting because when you look at how he is writing this, it's kind of like I commend to you this sister. And yeah. in in this day, you need to understand, you know, they didn't have emails. So when you write letters to a church like Paul is writing, he is now giving this letter to a messenger who is going to be taking this letter to the, the church ultimately to deliver it. And that person will then read it and explain it, even preach it, yep. teach it, yep. give what is the essence of the message. And many scholars believe that Phoebe was this person because that's why he's saying, in this letter, by the way, I commend to you, Phoebe. Here she is. Um, she's coming. Please welcome her. Look after her. Give her all she needs. She has been amazing with me. And he calls her the word a diakonos, a deacon. Yep. Which is, yep. a, today we know it's something like a Christian minister, preacher, teacher, leader, servant. But someone who has some role of in ministry. She's not just anyone she has been sent by paul to deliver this very important message to the romans and um yeah. so you know that's just one example it's it's so powerful how paul is exalting women and in co-laboring with them in the same way that the messiah mm -hmm. did yeah is isn't it isn't it amazing the book of romans like what a 
what a theologically rich letter and what a profound letter. And the, as you just mentioned, the fact that Paul entrusted a woman to deliver this letter, and as you were just talking about, she would have been the one reading this letter to the church. She, the first one, the first one that would be reading this letter to the church. She delivered it. She would probably have to answer questions from the congregation, mm -hmm. uh, theological questions dealing with the content of what Paul wrote. And the, so the fact that this woman is entrusted with the letter of Romans, I mean, letter of Romans, there's entire classes on, on just that letter. And the first person to deliver that letter and teach the content of that letter was a woman. And so there, there's all kinds um, of things like this in the Bible that, that we just gloss over. Mm. The fact that um, the book of Acts declares that God poured out his spirit on his people and that both, quote, sons and daughters were empowered to prophesy mm. in Acts 2, 17 through 18. God's will was that the, his spirit would be poured out on both sons and daughters, men and women, mm. who would be empowered to prophesy. And uh, this is part of the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We're talking about the Great Commission and how women are part of it. Part of that Great Commission was the was the events of Acts chapter two and the Spirit being poured out, empowering the people to go and and to deliver the message of the gospel. Sons and daughters mm -hmm. are empowered to yes. be part of this, and I believe this Spirit empowered movement to fulfill the Great Commission is still happening today, and both men and women are empowered to fulfill this mission. Oh yeah. Uh, and, you know, and just a quick personal testimony. I remember when I was a young student at university, you know, I'm trying to find my where am I going to go in life? And the Lord made me cross paths with an old 90 ish year old lady who was a prophet. And, you know, I didn't really know at the time, but she came to me and she prophesied over my life. And she said, God calls you into full time mm -hmm. ministry. At that point, I thought it's weird. But today, that is one of the most that's one of the milestone events of my life that I will never forget because I can always look back and be like, Lord, that's where you spoke to me. And I know I'm, yeah. you know, that kind of, it's, it was so profound for me personally. And if, if I was a person who forbid prophecy because it came from a woman or whatever spiritual gift that may be, you know, we are, we would be robbing that from the church. Yeah. Right. And, you know, we, we, it's great that you brought up prophecy, you know, Philip, uh, you know, his Philip the Evangelist, his daughters, uh, Acts 21, yeah. verse 9, we read they were uh, four, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied, you know, and so these spiritual gifts were active among women and not just prophecy, gift of healing, all the spiritual gifts were active. And uh, for example, when Paul talks about the gift of tongues, he speaks to men and women. He, so this is something mm -hmm. that's for all in that way too. And uh, just one more example I want to bring up here is uh, Philippians 4 verse 2. Just another example of Paul and how he's laboring side by side with women here. Um, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sanctside to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So these women, they're not just in the back office, nothing wrong with that. B 
beautiful. Mm-hmm. All, all, all roles are important. But these women were mm-hmm. side by side on the front lines with Paul, Amen. working with him. So for Amen. Paul to just turn around and be like, hey, you all women, you guys just, just keep quiet. You have no role. <laughs> you know, you, you, you just, this, this, this doesn't make sense. So, um, you know, I, I think that it would be really good for us to talk about Paul's letters. Um, if there's anything you want to add before we move on to that, uh, David. Just one quick thing, because I really liked the the personal testimony you just yeah. gave of that woman who who ministered to you. Um, the scriptures, the New Testament talks about a woman um, who is described as a missionary, uh, Pr- Priscilla uh, or Prisca, in uh, Romans sixteen three and. Acts 18.26 says that she and her husband privately tutored the great Messianic Jewish apologist, Apollos. So (laughs) the the great Um, Messianic Jewish uh, apologist, Apollos, was tutored by a woman and her husband. And what does that mean? They taught him doctrine. You know, they they taught him how to defend the faith uh, more effectively. And so um, it's just amazing. Um, what, what we see when we, when we look at the scriptures with fresh eyes, without, without the baggage of culture and unbiblical religious tradition. Right. Amen. So yeah, brother, I think we should, I can, I can already see the comments about what about this that Paul said and what about that what Paul said. So, uh, we're going to talk about just a little bit of that, um, just to clear some things up here. I think what Mm -hmm. David said in the beginning of this was very valuable in terms of the, Uh, setting some backdrop in terms of what the culture was like in the first century. Mm And and we need to, like I mentioned, when we look at the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians, the book of the the Corinthians, these letters of Paul are written to these people in these places. And these places were very, had a lot of pagan culture and things surrounding them. And this is what Paul mm. was dealing with. He was dealing with some crazy things, even by today's right. standards. And so, um, and, and we're going to, I want to talk about a little bit about what those things are. And one of the first verses that are often brought up is 1 Corinthians 14, verse uh, 34. And I'll read it for us. It says, The women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Now, what Paul is saying here, it it seems so out of place with everything we've been discussing leading up to this, with his partnership with women, etc. So what does he really mean? We may be missing some context, because in 1 mm-hmm. Corinthians 11 verse 5, for example, we, we see Paul just a bit earlier. He's saying now, And every woman praying or prophesying of her head uncovered brings shame to her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Here he is talking about women who are praying or prophesying and how they ought to do that and so forth. So he's not, this is not, it wasn't a blanket statement against all women who, right. who should keep quiet, but rather I want to submit to you that he was speaking to a particular group of women, certain women. And this was right. because of the culture. Um, I want to read uh, one thing from a, just to give us all a picture, um, a, a Greek biographer called, in the first century called Plutarchus. He wrote the following. She was a woman who gave no thought to spinning or housekeeping, 
nor did she consider it worthwhile to dominate a man not in public life. She wished to rule a ruler and command a commander. This Greek biographer is talking about how there were these women who were desiring to dominate men for the sake of dominating. And this was what was going on with a lot of the women within the first century. And this is what, was, what Paul was dealing with. And if you, if you notice what he says, he says that women should keep silent in the churches as the law also says. And when we look at that, the word, he's saying as the law says, but what law is he talking about? Because the mm. Bible, the, the Torah doesn't have a law stating that women should keep silent in the churches. So he must mm -hmm. be talking about a law of the land. He is talking, he is referring to, because we know that we ought to obey the governing authorities. And so he uh, is referring to one of the laws that the Romans had in the Roman Empire. And it was that they didn't want women to intervene in public settings for their and for their man they didn't want women to speak over their man over their husband and um they didn't for example in legal settings uh we reread here and uh, i want to read this to you women were not to intervene in public settings or come between two parties and an imperial ban had already existed from the time of augustus on women intervening on behalf of their husbands in the context of a legal argument so this, these state laws were in place. And because they were trying to already battle some of these things that were happening, the, these m movements of women who try to draw attention to themselves, dominate men, and who wanted to be independent from their husbands. Something that goes all the way to the other side of what we are even talking about here tonight, of where women kind of got a little out of control. David, what mm -hmm. do you think about that? Well, I, you know, it, it's, there, there are a lot of uh, things. I mean, as you said earlier, there is a lot of context to these. Paul wasn't writing these letters in a vacuum, as you were saying. I mean, there is a lot of stuff going on in the yeah. culture. Um, and I, I think that that stuff needs to be examined and, exp and looked into to, to kind of get better insights into uh, the types of issues that Paul is addressing. But, but I think the bottom line is, is that um, these verses cannot mean what many people think they mean at face value. Because think of the implications. I mean, this would mean that women couldn't sing on the worship team. This would mean that they couldn't pray with and for others at church. They couldn't be allowed to give announcements during the service. They couldn't publicly read to the children in the nursery. After all, the passage says that they must keep silent, right? So if we take these verses with a wooden literalism, those would be the logical implications. Now, obviously, nobody takes it to that extreme, but if that's your interpretation, if you're interpreting this as a um, universal law that, that, that Paul is giving for all Christian women for all time, you're not being logically consistent because those are the logical uh, implications of that um, premise. So there's, there has to be something more going on here. Obviously, obviously that interpretation can't be true because how could women like 
Priscilla and Junia serve as co-workers in congregations if they weren't allowed to speak in those congregations. Uh, as you were just mentioning, uh, PD, how, how can Phoebe serve as a deacon if she can't talk in church? Not only that, but also, as you mentioned earlier, in, in this very same letter, Paul already mentioned praying and prophesying, uh, that, uh, specific, specifying women, that women were praying and prophesying. So what I would propose, it, it, um, it, in addition to some of the stuff that you were saying, Petey, what, what I want to propose for how we can kind of make sense of this, and it doesn't answer all of the questions, I go into a little bit more detail in my book, but a way that we can make sense of this is to consider the context of 1 Corinthians 14. The whole context is Paul is dealing with how to administer orderly worship services. In 1 Corinthians 14, 39 through 40, he talks about how uh, you know, God is a God of order, right? He, he's not a God of disorder. And, and he's trying to give practical advice on how to have orderly worship services. So given that fact, given Paul's objective here, there are a couple things we should note. First, Paul tells not only women, some women, to be silent, but also some men to be silent in certain circumstances. For instance, if someone speaks in tongues, there must be an interpretation and it must be only one person at a time, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 7. If there is no one to interpret the tongue, the one speaking must, quote, keep silent in church. The very same instruction given to the, the women in, in the verses that, that are in question here. Prophets must prophesy one by one while the others once again keep silent. So these calls for both men and women to be silent obviously do not mean complete silence for the entire service or that nobody is allowed to talk in church. No, these are very detailed instructions dealing with very specific circumstances. And Paul is giving very practical guidance for how to have orderly worship services. So we ought to interpret verses 34 through 35 within the same context. These aren't general instructions for all women for all time to be silent in church. Paul is addressing a very specific situation. Right. And whatever it is, it has to be in view of the context of right. having orderly services. So Maybe, maybe a principle that could be applied today is don't, don't talk in a way that's disruptive to the service. And right. men or women could do that. Right. So it's not just, it's not a sexist rule that women must keep silence. Yes. It's do not talk dis, that in a way that would disrupt the service. And, and so that's, that is ultimately what's going on there. There's a bunch of particulars. There, yeah. There's some cultural context that we can consider. And there's yeah. debate about some of those things. But that's the main, uh, the yes. main takeaway that I, that I want to bring to that. Right. Yes. Yeah. There's, like you said, there's a lot of debate on what exactly the particulars were of the culture. And, um, but mm -hmm. what we can d deduct clearly is that these women that he was writing to in particular were likely disruptive. They were likely right. trying to take over things, trying to rule or something of that sort, whatever it was. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that was what he was facing. And so to write, and just in the same way, just like you mentioned with the speaking in tongues thing, the reason he would be mm -hmm. writing that is because they were doing it wrong. 
That's why he's instructing mm -hmm. them. I'm not going to instruct anyone on anything if I think they're doing a good job at it. Like, if they're right, right. If you're writing a letter, you're going to make it worth it. You're going to talk about what's worth talking about, and that's what yeah. he felt was worth talking about. And it was in this case with the speaking women, and so mm -hmm. yeah, bro, that's good to bring. And and so I think that the next one we could talk about here um, is uh, one Timothy chapter two, and. I think that this whole backdrop that we've already created going into this, now we're carrying into this verse as well of, you know, what the mm -hmm. culture might have been like and what 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 Paul was facing. Um, and then we were, he wrote this. He said in uh, 1 Timothy 2 verse 11, he said, Later women learn in silence in all subjection. But I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, rather to be in silence. Now, you know, it's again, mm -hmm. this is quite a shocking verse, considering what we've been mm -hmm. discussing. And, and like uh, the women who've like you mentioned, um, Apollos, who he how he got instructed. I mean, so mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of that. And so, uh, again, I think what we could lay down here is the context of uh, chapter yeah. 1 Timothy. Uh, I just want to read a few verses here before we jump into it. Um, 1 Timothy 1 verse 3. As I appealed to you when I went into Macedonia to remain in Ephesus in order to command some not to teach differently, nor to pay attention to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes mm -hmm. rather than an administration of God, which is in belief. And in verse 6, he yeah. says, Some, having missed the goal, turn aside to senseless talk, wishing to be teachers of Torah, understanding neither what they say, nor concerning what they strongly affirm. Right. So we see that there were these people. This is the context. He's talking about these people who are teaching differently fables, senseless talk. He's saying they're trying to teach Torah, but they don't know what they're talking about, basically. And so mm -hmm. this is the backdrop of the, of this letter. And so now when he is speaking to women here in uh, uh, 1 Timothy 2 verse 11, you know, I want us to look at these words that he's using because uh, when he talks about, he says, um, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. And, and I think there's a, he's going to give us a hint here on what he's really meaning because the word he uses for to have authority over a man is the word authentio. And this word is interesting because it's not what you would typically use in the way that we might think of it. Because it, authentio mm -hmm. means to act of yourself, to dominate, to usurp mm -hmm. authority over. So this is, kind, and it's often used for people who, who dominate inappropriately. So kind of someone who takes authority upon themselves instead of being mm. appointed correctly. If right. Paul wanted to use a different word, he could have used exosia, which means to, to that means delegated influence. So that means that he, it's someone who, who has received influence by, let's just say, uh, like a judge who we appoint over us. Right, you know, and, right. and that word means authority, jurisdiction, liberty, power, right, strength. That's the typical word, the definition we really think of when we say authority. But that's actually different from what he said. He, his word is more to dominate. 
and even more so to dominate without to dominate from out of place you not having the mm -hmm. right to dominate kind of thing so when mm -hmm. he's saying i don't permit a woman to teach or to have authority dominate over a man or mm -hmm. to be in silence well we can get a hint of what kind of women again this is that he is speaking to right. and about and that it's not a blanket statement for all women because i mean deborah is just one example who, who comes to, right. who comes to mind in the old testament how she was a judge she certainly had authority over men so yeah right. what do you think no that's that's great i you know, there. This is a very um, important verse to to know the context for, um, because this is this is the one passage in the entire Bible that seems to explicitly ban women from public teaching and leadership, and that's why this this verse is often so central to those those debates about women in ministry. Um, in fact, I have an entire chapter on in my book on on this passage uh so if if you want a fuller answer uh just shamelessly promote my book for that but um basically basically i don't believe the bible contradicts itself in this regard um what i believe is that we can reconcile this passage with the many other passages that do endorse women in ministry that we talked earlier. Critics will say that all of the examples that we covered earlier, uh, you know, all about Phoebe, the deacon, uh, Deborah and Priscilla and, and all of the, the co-laborers who are women with Paul and how they taught and, and um, you, know, you know, these are all just exceptions. These are exceptions to the rule that women are prohibited from ministry. You'll often hear that from critics. But what I propose is this, instead of viewing the many examples of female ministers in the Bible as exceptions, we should instead view 1 Timothy 2.12 as the exception to the rule affirming women's ministry. Mm. That's what I propose. So what I mean is this, According to a holistic reading of scripture, women are generally allowed to serve in teaching and leadership roles. According to a holistic reading of scripture, according to the many examples we quoted earlier, but they are restricted from those uh, roles in certain exceptional situations. That's how we can understand this. That's how we can reconcile this and make sense of, of these seemingly conflicting instructions. Um, so that's what I believe is, is going on in 1 Timothy 2.12. It represents not the rule, but an exceptional case where women were permitted from teaching for some reason. Now, the, the question is, well, why? Why is this an exceptional case? Why were women prohibited from teaching in 1 Timothy 2.12? Well, the first thing to point out is that Paul fully expects women to learn. In verse 11, which you quoted earlier, it says, quote, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. The reason Paul bans women from teaching in this context uh, is that in Ephesus, false teachers were targeting vulnerable and unlearned women who would then spread those false teachings. That's what's going on in the context. And we see this uh, in, 
in other places throughout his letter. And you quoted some of those verses earlier that there was some false teaching going around. So these false teachers would actually target, there's verses saying that they would target widows. They would target vulnerable women who were unlearned. And then those women would go and spread those false teachings. Mm. So Paul's solution to this problem was first that the Ephesian women must be barred from teaching and assuming authority in the church. Why? Because we got to stop this false doctrine from going around. These, these women are spreading false doctrine. We got to stop this. So that's his first solution. Second, he says in verse 11, that they must learn quietly from reliable teachers and leaders. And, um, and that's significant. He says that they are to learn. Mm. The reason this is significant is because of this. Uh, New Testament scholar, Craig Keener, he writes, I just want to share this quote really quick. But uh, he writes, presumably, Paul wants them to learn so that they could teach. If he prohibits women from teaching because they are unlearned, his demand that they learn constitutes a long-range solution to the problem. Women unlearned in the Bible could not be trusted to pass on its teachings accurately, but once they had learned, this would not be an issue, and they could join the ranks of women colleagues in ministry whom Paul elsewhere commends. So the it's not just a general sexist rule <laughs> that Paul gives that women are not allowed to teach. He's dealing with a very specific situation of unlearned women whom false teachers were targeting. And then they went and they, they assumed positions of authority in communities, usually house churches where they would host the, the house church. And, and they would assume uh, positions of authority. And that was a problem because they were spreading this false teaching. So the principle of the, these verses for today is not that women can't teach. That's not the principle that we're to get from this. The principle is that unqualified women, and men, by the way, right. unqualified women who are known to believe and spread false teachings, they are not to be given a position of influence within the church. And I unpack the rest of this, the passage in much more depth in, in my book, but that's the gist of what's going on here. It's not that women can't teach, it's that unqualified people, mm. man or woman, if mm. they easily believe false doctrine and they, they're known to spread false doctrine, they are not to be given positions of, of teaching authority. That's what Paul says. That's really good, brother. And I think this brings up mm -hmm. a larger point of how, you know, in our reading of the scriptures, if we, you know, if we start out, you know, we could think, okay, uh, Paul's letter, I read everything and everything he says is like written to me. And I have to apply mm -hmm. it like that. But we have to remember that this is written to a certain church, a certain people. It's for us, most assuredly, to mm -hmm. read and to get edification from like you just showed, you know, this is what we can get from this. But don't Amen. just yeah. say, oh, look, it's all women. No, it, he was dealing with a certain situation. If you understand the situation, you can actually understand what am I supposed to learn from this, which I Amen. think you really adequately said. And, you know, so I, I think that that's a very good thing to bring up still, like actually like uh, men and women, be careful mm -hmm. of myths. Be careful of what did he say? Senseless talk. Um, right. Those who are wishing to be teachers, but they don't know what they, they're saying. Yeah. Be careful. Yeah. Endless genealogies, which cause disputes, right? All these things, which 
you know, I, I don't think those things have gone away. I think they're just as prevalent as ever. And be Amen. careful of these things because in in God's sight, because this is really where it comes down to, not just in the the church, from the church's perspective, but from God's side, you're not qualified to teach if you just repeat everything that's been fed to you without actually going to the word ultimately and seeing if this mm -hmm. is for real and true. And so, mm -hmm. brother, thank you for sharing that. That was good. You know, I, I think in our concluding thoughts here, you know, what I want to say from my side is, is women spread the gospel, go forth just like the Messiah did, just like his disciples did. Don't feel mm -hmm. disqualified because of your gender and don't let men come and try and disqualify you from living out the kingdom lifestyle that he is, that you know is on your heart because some men have stood in the way of that. I know that for some mm -hmm. women, it's been hard because they feel like um, I can't do that because men will judge me or someone will, other women even, you know, whoever will judge mm -hmm. me because I'm, and this is cause, and I'll be honest here, brother, like I feel like this issue is, is bad because it has, there is a, a lack of women uh, in the new mm -hmm. generation who are raising up in the way that I want to see, I want to, I'm seeing a lot of men like, you know, trying mm -hmm. to take up arms for the kingdom and, you know, as, as leaders and all these things. But I'm asking, where are the women? I'm not saying there aren't any, but I'm just saying, I want to see more. Mm -hmm. And I know that the reason, one of the reasons there aren't as many as I want to see is because of this fear of I'm going to get judged for just getting up there and doing what God has put on my heart, yeah. you know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, a point that I bring up in my book, be, because I, I deal with a lot of feminist objections to the Bible. Mo most of the book is actually addressing atheism and it's addressing objections from secular feminists who say that the Bible's sexist. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in my book, I make a point uh, toward the end of my book because I have a chapter called uh, Feminism versus Christianity, which is better for women. And at the, at the uh, beginning of that chapter, I say that, you know, not all feminists are angry for no reason. A lot of these feminists, uh, secular feminists and, and atheists and critics of the Bible, they're reacting not to the scriptures, but they're reacting to a distorted form of Christianity that, um, that they were taught, a distorted form, an unbiblical um, type of Christianity in regard to its view of women. And, and so that's what uh, a lot of these critics of scripture are reacting to, I believe. And so, um, you know, I've made the point over and over again, it's not the scriptures that uh, hold women back. It's not God or the Messiah or the apostles that hold women back. It is um, secular culture that often demeans and oppresses women, and it's unbiblical religious tradition, unbiblical religious tradition that does that. Um, so... Yeah, I would just, uh, I, I echo everything that you said, brother. Uh, I, I uh, yearn for, I yearn for God's people, whether they're man or woman. I, I yearn for those who, um, those who are qualified to teach, because I do believe that you have to be qualified oh, yeah. <laughs> to, to be able oh, yeah. to teach. Um, those who are qualified to teach, whether man or woman, that they would be 
able and encouraged and empowered to step into those roles for God's kingdom, that that uh, the Great Commission can go forward and be fulfilled. And um, I hope that this uh, little video that we did today, where we address some of these um, objections and we talk about these issues, I hope that it encourages women to do that. And uh, so I just echo everything you said, brother. Amen. Amen. And uh yeah, I would I would end it with this, brothers and sisters, is keep your eyes on the Messiah and how did he walk and make sure that whatever you do, wherever you feel like he's leading you to go, make sure that you have the character of the Messiah. You're bearing good fruit. We don't want to end up like some of these churches where Paul was writing to them, having to correct them on some of these issues, which were real issues. So we want to walk the line. We want to be balanced and yes we want to we want to run and we want to be a part of god's kingdom in whichever way maybe even if that's a leadership position for someone but at the end of the day mm -hmm. make sure make sure be have a fear of god in you so that you can Amen. be careful with what is whatever it is the lord entrusts to you so on that note brothers and sisters thank you for tuning in may god bless you and keep you and we'll see you guys next video shalom shalom if you're interested in learning more about this topic, you can find a link to David Wilbur's book, Is God a Misogynist? in this video's description and on the Rise and Fire website. I hope that this teaching has blessed you. Subscribe to this channel for more just like this one. Like this video, share it with your friends. And I'll see you guys in the next one. Shalom.